Hi, this is Sarah. If you like this episode of Let's Talk About Sects, you can listen to my audiobook, Do As I Say, How Cults Control, Why We Join Them, and What They Teach Us About Bullying, Abuse, and Coercion. The audiobook will be available on Audible, Apple Books, Google, and Kobo from the 28th of June. A link is in the show notes. A few months ago, I got a call from a contact at Cult Information and Family Support, the Australian support group for people who have exited or who have family members involved in high-demand groups. She told me that a lady named Joy had been in touch with them, and that Joy was keen to tell her story. I visited Joy on the central coast of New South Wales, and she shared with me her experiences with a group based in Auckland, New Zealand. On a later visit to that city, I also spoke with Iphigenia, another ex-devotee, about her experiences with the group. An online database called the New Zealand Cult List had started investigating the group in March 2018 and created a listing in July 2018. The group's founders absolutely deny that it is a cult, and according to their website, they themselves regularly help all kinds of narcissists who end up in their orbit. Welcome to Let's Talk About Sects, a podcast about cults around the world. I'm your host, Sarah Steele. Before we continue, a content warning. This episode will deal with issues that some people may find disturbing, related to emotional abuse and controlling behaviours. There are also references to suicidal thoughts. Please use your discretion as to whether this will be suitable for you and those around you who may be listening too. Another note before we start... The group that I'm talking about today is very active online and continues to post lots of things about Joy and Iphigenia on its website. They have also sent Joy letters threatening legal action. For this reason, because I am an independent show with little in the way of time and resources to defend myself from online attacks or legal threats, I'm not naming the group in this episode. I'm sharing Joy and Iphigenia's experiences, which do corroborate each other in multiple instances, but their opinions are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of this podcast. Joy Kuo and her husband moved to Sydney from Taiwan in 2000, and the couple both began working for the University of Sydney Library the following year. They both studied for and gained their master's degrees and enjoyed their work. By 2012, they had had a son together, and Joy found herself wanting to help humanity in some greater way. She was looking for something she could really dedicate herself to in her career. Joy had always been spiritual, with a background in Tibetan Buddhism, and attended the Mind-Body-Spirit Festival. You may recognise the name of this festival from episode 5 of season 1, as it's the same festival Carly McConkie attended and came across a group called Universal Knowledge. Joy came across a different New Age group, 
sound amazing to me from what I understood at the time, what they were able to offer. And this is type of, for me, it's, uh, feel like a new age kind of, you know, a spiritual movement. What it offers really a, a attraction for me because you sort of become like instant healer. Iphigenia Amutzius moved to New Zealand from Germany in 1996. She completed postgraduate studies in her new home country and had practiced Buddhism for many years. By 2011, she had reached a point in her life where something seemed to be missing. She felt that the modern world was lacking in connection, that technology was driving people apart, and that she wanted to be surrounded with a greater sense of community. One day, she met a couple in Auckland who were originally from India and whom she was immediately drawn to. This couple, especially the woman, was uh, very charismatic, yeah. She really wowed me when I saw her first. It's like, wow, she, she got something. I want to learn from her. I, try, I can trust her, that's what I felt. I am very spiritual. I'm interested in the metaphysics, always have been. Yeah, and, and that's really difficult to find people who are along those, who, yeah, who are like that. The woman spoke with her about energy and metaphysics. Iphigenia wanted to know more. The woman's husband was often with her too and came across as quiet, polite and kind. The wife was confident and outspoken, which Iphigenia liked as well. Iphigenia had a session with the wife and felt some of her sadness lifting and being replaced by a feeling of joy. The woman told Iphigenia that her work was related to quantum physics with a goal of liberating the incarnational soul from the lower, dense energies accumulated over past lifetimes. She was also told that she could become a healer after just one workshop. Uh, in the beginning, it was all about you can be a healer straight away. You know, you don't have to go through years and years of so many courses. And at some point, she even um, asked me to create a table and um, compare the group's healing modalities with others and how much money you have to pay and pay and pay again to become a practitioner. But in our case, no. Joy was attracted to many of the same things as Iphigenia. She wanted to share this spiritual growth as far and wide as she could and put her hand up to volunteer to help the couple spread the word in Australia. One of the things that really appealed to her was the concept of everyone being their own master and not needing to rely on anyone else. For me, it, it seems to me was uh, like, a, like a mission, you know, you spreading love and light to people and you helping people with this, their spiritual growth. And I feel like, wow, it's really fantastic. You, you love what you do. Because I was also into this searching. Um, everyone will have a period of time searching for who you are, where you want to be, what's your life purpose. And for once, I thought I found my purpose. I thought I was in my walking my spiritual journey. And I was so uh, really put into my heart and soul into this work. For me, it's like, a, wow, it's something so amazing. And I was really fascinated. And I was um, very soon involved with their volunteer work. Iphigenia also decided to volunteer for the couple's organisation, helping to organise events across New Zealand or online. While they were volunteering their time, 
she and Joy were also paying to do various workshops. You are a healer straight away. And yes, you can go a level deeper, but that's only one more workshop. And then, yes, you, you have to keep up, so you have to each year come back. And then suddenly you're <laughs> in it and there are more and more workshops and more and more things to do. And, um, and anyway, the, it always changed. It always changed and expanded because, oh, the people are now ready to, to, um, for this modality, for that and the other. So we learn something new, something new. And, and then it became something different. <laughs> Then in 2013, a new program became available for a very select small group of around 12 devotees. They would be facilitators in training, or FIT. I had a bit of a hard time understanding what this meant, and I wasn't the only one. It's called facilitators in training, and that's just the, uh, I guess, this was being given to this group, close group of students as an intensive training. And when it says facilitators in training, does that mean you're training to become a facilitator? Uh, that's the f- interesting part, because they say we are never be a facilitator. It's really, I, I never understand what they mean by facilitator, facilitator in training. I sometimes just so, get so confused. From 2013 onwards, Joy says she was spending three to four hours a day on volunteer work for the organisation, outside of her full-time work. Also in 2013, the couple asked the FIT to begin referring to them with new names that had special significance in Hindi. The devotees were also never to refer to the couple as him or her, he or she, but always by their full names in every instance which made for some pretty clunky sentences. By September 2015, Joy had left her job at the university library to dedicate herself fully to the cause that she believed could help the world. She also says she spent tens of thousands of dollars on a marketing consultant in Taiwan with a view to helping spread the organization's message to her home country. She understood that she had the couple's blessing to do so, but found it to be an impossible task, as getting a straight answer about anything from them could be tricky. She was contributing financially in other ways as well. From time to time, these students will ask to buy something for the wife. Uh, I was asked to buy some glasses. You know, it ended up a couple thousand of dollars, but I don't really asking... You know, because we thought it's our honor to do the contribution, and also they have projects. They have like a they have project to build a mandir. It's like a temple, so each of us probably had to contribute thousand something. Um, for but I don't know if if the project's really happening. That I don't know. They they say they don't accept um, money, but they use different ways of collecting. The FIT were having regular meetings, and being based in different cities, they used Zoom for online get-togethers, plus WhatsApp and email to stay in constant contact. Video and audio recordings of the wife's teachings were regularly circulated for consumption. Retreats were organised for getting together in person. Then, at a New Zealand retreat, Joy and Iphigenia say that the couple revealed their true identities to the FIT. 
So me and Joy, we were in the FIT group, the facilitators in training, that core group. Yeah, and we came to know the true identity of the leaders, not just what they show to the others, but they reveal the true identity being the avatar of the Indian god. That really shocked me. Um, three weeks, <laughs> I was really... I thought, that's, that's, that's wrong. <laughs> that's something that's... Huh, that's, that's a definite sign of a cult. You know, I knew that, you know. And I even <laughs> talked to her. And I said, you know, you said you showed your um, identity. And since then, I'm really confused, you know. And she just smiled at me and didn't say anything. Yeah, anyway, after three weeks, I molded myself back into, into that box, you know, to fit in. They are the living embodiment of the absolute. So they represent the source. So they are capable of everything. <laughs> what does that mean, the source? The source is the origin, the creator of everything. Some people might say it's a god, but uh, there are different expressions, but pretty much the creator of everything. <laughs> but they, I think they say they are the absolute, but it means the same to me. Some dedicated students moved into what was referred to as an ashram and lived with the couple in Auckland. They were excited for the opportunity to learn more directly from the two. Iphigenia described to me what her daily routine was like there. It was framed as serving Shiva, or selfless devotion, but honestly, what she described to me sounded much more like unpaid servitude. The day started usually at 6.30, latest, preparing the arti, the, the Indian meditation, uh, going out, picking fresh flowers, dusting the living room and their living quarters. They had a separate area in the ashram. Um, we didn't have a juicer, so we did it with, with a blender and uh, through the sieve. It was and, pretty Oh, nice. yeah. And every morning we're supposed to clean the floor, the kitchen floor as well. Um, that actually had to be cleaned at night and in the morning again. There was, of course, a reason with energy and what have you and bacteria that develop overnight with the moonlight or whatever. I, I, I didn't understand it. Then uh, we had lots of projects, lots of projects, so many, um, clearly given made to fail. <laughs> There's no way that you could finish all these projects. And we had to shop, um, stock up water she wanted, and the cleaner for her glasses, and grocery shopping, of course, pick up parcels, any errands, ironing, lots of ironing, making food for the temple, of course, at 12, closing the temple, um, then opening it again sometime in the afternoon, keeping um, a light burning. There was um, a special light in the temple that had to burn keep um, and that was really difficult i even got up at night twice in the middle of the night to make sure that it's you know three o'clock to make sure it's it's um, still burning then um, she came out at 11 sometimes later you never knew and then making lunch or not it's it's really interesting to talk about it because i'm i feel i still feel 
um, a bit of shame or feeling ashamed that I was so unreliable. Because that was, it's really interesting, because um, that was something that I was accused of, that I didn't cook for her every day, and I didn't do this, didn't do that, every day, every day, um, on a regular basis. And, yeah, I didn't. That's right. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, another thing, every day at night, um, we had to uh, collect the old water jar, and the glasses, replace it with fresh water, lay out the clothing she's going to wear the next day or for the next few days. Then often, often we had spontaneous discourses. Yeah, for hours. Of course, everything had to be stopped. <laughs> we had to stop everything we're doing. And it was, oh, it was a blessing. We're like, yeah. And then I had to make sure that I had my phone around and record it, of course, because later on I would um, transfer it um, on my laptop and then email it to everyone else and everyone was expected to listen to it. The discourses were never under one, one and a half hours, two hours. Mm, yeah, and then she always said there's not much to do, but uh, we were always busy. Maybe we had time for a cuppa, but even when we were sitting down, you we were thinking or talking about what else to do, you know. And we were groomed to be always available. Another thing, I, I um, often missed her phone calls to me from the other end of the house or text messages. So I was like, whoa, I have to always be available. I have to really look at my phone all the time. I have to always, always have the phone with me. We always, oh my God, we had so many messages the whole day, even at, at work too. Between the classes, um, yeah, another message, another discourse, another something I need to reply to. I knew I was tested. We, every one of us, we were constantly tested. So um, at, I don't know, two o'clock, really, really late, um, I received a message um, if um, I could make some sandwich for her. You know, and I was like, oh, great, that I, I, I got it, I got it, I can quickly do it. And, of course, we always took her to appointments out, and that we always spent, ended up spending money. Mm, yeah, afternoon, um, set up the table, prepare for dinner, prepare for arty, um, maybe go to a meeting or not, online or physical. Mm. With a dinner, either make it yourself or help her. They were sitting at the table eating, we were sitting on the uh, floor. Sometimes we were allowed to sit at the table as well, but usually... We sit away from them. We were never allowed really to talk to them during dinner. So we serve them and clear the table. We couldn't uh, clean the kitchen while they were eating, of course. They didn't want to be disturbed. Mm, they didn't like cleaning that noise. pots and dishes and cleaning the puja items, the items for the Indian meditation. They had to be really polished. Empty the rubbish every night. Clean the floor each night. Always, of course, always, always step away when one of them comes or walks across. Um, so in the kitchen, even if you're in the middle of something, he comes in to make chai or whatever, you have to leave the room. Yeah, the ashram was really clean. Yeah, by bed at 1.30. Depending on the, the discourses as well, um, there were nights where it was later, some nights, yeah... There were crazy times.
Sleep was kept to a minimum. For those in the ashram and those living away from Auckland too, the expectation was made clear. She said she doesn't sleep. Maybe she goes into a samadhi state or I don't know what she's doing. But apparently she doesn't sleep or maybe only an hour or I don't know how much. And we were encouraged to sleep less anyway. Um, Six hours sleep uh, was considered being lazy, definitely. That was, that was, um, those were, were her words. Yeah, so four or five hours. As the couple's status was elevated within the core group, Joy and Iphigenia witnessed them begin to target certain devotees, having them participate in so-called confession sessions, as they understood it, to help clear out the darker aspects of their ego. The group's website denies that any confession sessions ever took place. Not long after they, uh, the, the retreat, after they announced as the, these Indian deities, they start to uh, target one student uh, to have confession sessions because she needs to confess all the wrongdoings she had and from early childhood, from every small little thing and how she manipulate whoever she came across. And each session can go over hours, hours. You know, seven, eight hours is normal. They might start from the afternoon and finish midnight or sometimes a.m., 3, 4 a.m. It still happens. It still um, sometimes happens, even no sleep. (laughs) So what happened was whoever in New Zealand, the local student will just be there in physical and for the students overseas, we join online. We have a Zoom call. We sort of witness uh, the session. And the wife is mainly the one doing the talking, asking her questions and sort of expose her intention, her dark side, because we are convinced you need to come clean. Uh, because it, what's been said is because our ego, so we stop the moving of this mission. So we have to clear out our uh, egos, our dark side. So uh, energetically, the group were moving, the mission can move forward. So it's more like a clearing out the weeds of the group. Because it was all about killing that evil part, that ego part, that negative side. And so it was a blessing for that person in the spotlight. That's what we were taught. And it was out of compassion from the leader that she spent hours and hours and hours. And she talked most of the time. Um, And she basically put the words into your mouth. Sometimes it will be like a WhatsApp message sent to us, you know, what question, what to ask. And sometimes they will send a set, probably like a make a scenario. We just have to follow through, and it's sort of uh, becoming part of the training. How we help this person to come clean. That's what we believe. That's why, uh, sort of doing having this practice. Iphigenia had been living with the couple at the ashram for a while when it came time for her to be targeted. You just keep your head down and quiet. And if you don't, (laughs) 
And at some point, for example, I, um, I got so frustrated because they were constantly hammering me about the reason why I moved into the ashram. Why did you move into the ashram? I still, why, 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 why? And I gave reasons, reasons, no, no, why, why? And at some point I said, what do you want to hear? And I was really like, wow, I don't know. Oh, she got really angry. How could you dare to speak like that to me? You know, Don't you dare. If you do that once more, something will happen. I don't know what she said, but she was very strong. So after that, you're quiet. And if you, um, and other times when I, um, try to say something and and um, protect myself or explain something, I got this, you know, wave of how bad I am and whatever, you know, then, then at some point you just stay quiet and keep your eyes down. And, yeah, standing or kneeling on the cold floor, sometimes you had a cushion, sometimes you didn't. I was lucky at the very end. I got some food, but um, Joy didn't. But yeah, hours, hours, sometimes 10, 12 hours. Unbelievable. Due to her ongoing support, as well as her monetary contributions and general attitude, Joy had a reputation as one of the most devoted of the fit. She was therefore completely shocked when she found herself as the next target. I was asked to go to Auckland to the ashram. Uh, initially, they, the wife asked me to show two of the students living with them how to serve them better. Initially, I booked for six weeks, but then later on, when I stay longer, things start to go wrong. I'm only thinking to do my best to do the service, whatever I can. You know, I left my family for three months. In the end, she said, oh, you need to start writing your confession. When I realized I become the target, I was actually shocking. I, I don't know what to do. The student, the, the second one, on the target you know she went through that period of time she nearly go mad she was suicidal and you just have to admit you just say yes to everything and you should be fine she's indicating that and she even before I write because I come back I have to write confession and she actually rang me saying oh you have to say you cannot say anything good about yourself you have to dig the, the deepest the darkest part of it. And you have to look in, into every action, what's your intention, what's your manipulation. You can only write that. On the second day, they took away my mobile, my passport, my laptop, everything. I just sort of cooperate as, as much as I can. I said, oh, because these people before me, I believe they went through the same process. I said, I guess I just have to do the same. And I, re I just realized, wow, this is what... Those students before me went through, and I just realized how hard, how difficult it was. And I was just like one of the other side of the student. We just followed through and attack. And in the end, I feel like I, lo I start to lose my mind because I don't know what's right or wrong. I was so confused. Not everyone was targeted, 
But I, I, um, I started at some point, I noticed, I started to shut off. Emotionally, I shut off. And um, I, I really, I, I, the worst part of me came out. Yeah, I became a total bully. So this is how desensitized I became. It was terrible. Oh, we were told um, this other lady who was living there, she, um, she had to cook dinner for us, for me and the other a New Zealand lady. So the Indian one, the first one that had been attacked, she, after months, 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 she now lived downstairs. And um, she couldn't serve them anymore, but she could serve them through us. That means serving the members, the devotees. So she had to cook dinner. And then we were instructed to, every time she offers the food to us, to say no. We're not eating it. And she had to keep cooking it, you know. And one, one night, it was terrible. One night uh, we were instructed to go and actually eat food of hers and then tell her that it tastes terrible. And she was so happy, yes, she can serve us, and she served us. And um, the other New Zealand lady and me, we felt so bad. Especially also because some of the food really tasted nice. <laughs> but we had to say, mm, actually, no, too much salt, not enough salt, or whatever. Well, <laughs> and at the time, it's were horrible. You, like thinking anything about what was the purpose of treating her like this? Or it was. In the beginning, it was all about what I said before to, um, to heal her, mm-hmm. because she was the first narcissist. That was revealed, a covered, covered narcissist, apparently, and um, so that was all part of the treatment in a way, yeah, to help her heal. But the thing is, what they do, they beat you down so you're so low, and then they pick you up to the same level you were before, but you feel, oh, I feel so good, oh, yes, they helped me. Actually, no, you are exactly where you were before. Yeah. Anyhow, so, um, yeah, it was all for the good of her. But honestly, at some point, you just follow. You just follow. That's a terrible thing. Now they are still defaming um, Joy and me online. And uh, one of the things I read is um, they are narcissists or, or psychopaths or whatever they call, call us. But, yeah, I, I really thought maybe I am. Maybe... On a subtle level, because in my case it's not obvious, maybe on a subtle level I am. So I got these books out, I researched about it, and thought, yeah, maybe. In the end, Iphigenia was asked to leave. I had truly, when I left, I had no savings anymore, nothing. And, yeah, after I left that week I couldn't even pay for any... Um, accommodation. Fortunately, some of the other students helped her out so that she could pay for somewhere to sleep for a few days at least. And that's the other thing. Even when the leaders were um, difficult at times, but the people are so beautiful, you don't want to leave them. Yeah, I had to leave. And I tell you what, I was so bloody relieved. That was really interesting 
Um, I remember that feeling. Part of me was so relieved. And um, then I knew it was the right decision. But, of course, there were lots and lots of other entanglements still and control issues. And I, I still went back for more sessions, believe it or not. Um, and more confessions and what have you. And then online, I had to, oh, that was really stressful. I um, finally got a room in the lodge. And two weeks, three weeks, oh, I started to feel normal again. And then I was contacted by them. And here are 76 questions. Answer them in the next three days. And... Um, Yeah, someone will come and... Uh, no, no, they didn't even say answer it. And then someone came to pick it up and I had to read it out and it was filmed. Everything was filmed anyway. Everything was filmed, always filmed. Uh, video, audio files of everything. And um, yeah, and then the stress level was up again. It's only when through this process I realized, you know, I I chose to give the power away, but not anymore. It's not right thing to treat people like this way on the name of spiritual development or, you know, it's actually quite damaging to people. After I come back from that trip and was into depression and they still chasing after me I still have to be on the call every day every other day nine eight hours and I wasn't even allowed to eat I can clearly remember it was on my son's birthday I was asking you know today's my son's birthday if we can you know give me some time with my family but They say yes, but they didn't. They just keep going, and they even asking me to divorce my husband, moving out to live by myself because I'm a vicious person, I'm a cunning person. They give me so much labels that I had never heard of, you know. And if they say I am the virus of the group for five years, if they are all-knowing, why they keep it for so long? and only reveal in the last minute. There's something I really don't understand. And of course, once the lady, uh, the woman, the wife was saying is collecting evidence. And I was so confused. I said, why you need to, you know, doing this for five years and then collect evidence to expose your student in this way? I, I totally don't get it. And But I feel... What I'm feeling is I've been used for many years. I asked both women if there was anything else they'd like to talk about before we finished up each interview. I think the main purpose of this interview for me is to bring the awareness of people joining any group Uh, spiritual group in particular, it is very hard to tell from because they when they're wearing a mask, you don't know what's behind the scenes. 
and why I decided to share my story. It's not really for myself, you know. I can just walk away, and but they really trying to stop me from what I'm doing, and they're still harassing me in email in different ways. So I feel it's necessary to bring this awareness to the public. At least、um, use your own discernment. I share my experience, but you use your own discernment to decide. You know what what is right for you, and just any group you join, you just have to、uh, be aware what group you're、uh, joining. It, and also take your time. It takes time to observe people, to know what they're really up to, and if they didn't、uh, sort of bring me to this process, I probably would never wake up because I was so brainwashed like everyone else. I would never wake up. In that, I was really glad I'm out, and I sort of awakened to. Uh, where I was, <laughs> and to where I am, and I'm glad I'm able to be here to share my story. I did not join a cult. I joined a group that was about energy healing, about self improvement, and it became a cult. You know, nobody joins a cult. You're out of your mind to do that. And it it、uh, it mostly happens to really intelligent people and people who question life, who want to go deeper, who are yeah looking for more than just paying the bills and watching TV. I I would like to say when for family and friends after someone left the cult, how to support. One aspect I noticed、um, not to judge. And that's a biggie because,、uh, as an outsider, you think,、uh, "How could you? How stupid are you that you end up in a place like that?" It has nothing to do with that. Actually, the opposite. When you're out there, you're very vulnerable. You just need someone to listen and to affirm that you are a good person, and be, of course, genuinely interested and not judge. Yeah, that's really important point.、Mm, another one is not. Oh my God, not to say. Oh, that's fascinating. That's the worst. It's like you, you, you really you're suffering. You, you open your 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 life there, and and you feel so ashamed or whatever feelings there are, and then it's not. A fascinating TV show. It's not a fascinating story. It's my life. It's my pain. It's not fascinating. You know what I mean? It was really, and I understand that the person said it because it is. I mean, you don't often meet someone <laughs> who tells you a story like that. Yeah, right. But at that moment, I wasn't seen as a person. Yeah, as a human being, and you're so sensitive when you come out. So these. Little things—they really matter to me. They did. About the couple, Joy says, "Just hoping they—they—they they, they would、uh, also wake up one day and,、um, yeah, just be the ones who they really claim to be, not the opposite." 
For the remainder of this episode, I'm going to share some of the public statements that this group has made via their social media channels and their website to give some time to their version of events. The Facebook page of the organisation currently has over 25,000 likes. The About blurb says, It's a world makeover with the power of love. They publish a lot of posts of images and words with various positive messages, such as a tree with the words, Let me not desire anything but the highest good for my worst enemy, attributed to Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasvati. Interspersed with these are quite a lot of posts with the hashtags Narcissism and NPD. There's a focus on narcissistic personality disorder on their website as well. I've replaced any instance of the couple's names in any website excerpts following. Some of the grammar and spelling is indicative of English not being a first language of the writers, and I mean no judgment on this. Quote, Even today we have three individuals with borderline NPD disorder who now have developed their conscience and over a period of time becoming more empathetic in nature. The couple selflessly took them under their wings at the expense of their own sanity and peace of mind. End quote. Also on the website, there's a question on the Q&A page about whether the organisation still offers the workshops that Joy and Iphigenia first took. The answer is that physical workshops have been halted, quote, since November 2016, due to consistent power play between volunteers. There were consistent tug-of-war and ego clashes, hence all workshops were called off, as we felt it was not ethical to offer any workshops if the equation among the volunteers was not right. End quote. With regards to the ashram, the Q&A page has a couple of entries. Firstly, in answer to the question, do you have any ashram? Quote, not exactly an ashram as such. In March 2016, Two fit organised a shared accommodation and proposed the couple to live with them. To which the couple agreed and shared the rent. Iphigenia was an uninvited guest. Joy Irene Kuro visited New Zealand for a brief period of time to attend fit reunion, which she was organising. The whole house had to be rearranged to accommodate these guests. End quote. And secondly, in answer to the question... Were people made to work or serve in the ashram? Quote, no, the couple and two fit facilitators in training that lived together used to share the daily chores of the house, and there were many occasions when the wife used to cook, clean, as can be seen in below photos. That's followed by three images. There's an email dated the 23rd of May 2017 to Iphigenia, copying Joy and one other person whose email address is blacked out. It includes the words, No humiliation can be bigger than constant disrespect, backstabbing, gossiping, insulting about the very same set of people that you claim to be your teachers and mentors. With heavy heart, this leaves us with unambiguous conclusion that, in your eyes, we are unwanted in our own ashram the sacred space personally and lovingly decorated by us. Amongst many blog posts and other references to Joy and Iphigenia, there is a video under the heading Public Notice, Disassociation, Joy Awakening and Iphigenia Amutsias, published April 2018. 
The video itself is entitled Facilitators in Training Meeting Recorded March 2017, and it has intro text on screen that says, Watch this video to debunk unfounded claims made by Iphigenia Amutsias and Joy Kuo attacking the organisation and their volunteers. Observations. All facilitators in training are seen to be casual and comfortable in their interaction. Rest is for you to interpret the facts and decide who the real victims are. That's ended with an exclamation point. The video starts with the FIT who are conferencing in from overseas, asking about what those in Auckland had been learning from living with the couple. Then there's a lot of discussion about how much the husband and wife take on from the FIT. A woman in the video says, quote, I personally had no idea of just the physical toll and the physical distress and the physical discomfort and the sacrifice that the couple make on an ongoing basis by having to absorb all our density and our low vibrations and our drama and our ungratefulness and our sense of entitlement, etc., 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 end quote. Then there's a long admonishment about the efforts of the wife in giving daily diatribes and how the fit are not showing up and not doing homework. So how will they ever be able to graduate and take this knowledge out into the world if they give excuses like children? The same woman says that they have an incredible opportunity in having the wife translate these messages through her discourses. And as a group, the casualness with which the daily discourses were being treated was the last disrespect that the wife was willing to tolerate. Most of the video appears very self-berating, talking about the wife's disappointment in them as a group. The woman later says, quote, I think we're proving we're better takers than we are givers, and I think the wife is tired of giving. Then the text at the end of the video says, quote, We request all the viewers to use your discernment in believing hearsay stories and claims. The organisation and the couple have been very kind and look at the potential of the soul rather than drama and ego of such individuals. Within two months of this call, Iphigenia was asked to leave the organisation for obvious reasons of sabotage and further two months after that, Joy Kuo was also asked to resign due to questionable and unethical acts. It's obvious that such rejection was not taken well by these two individuals, and naturally they stooped beyond point of any repair. End quote. On another page posted in May 2018, there's an audio recording purporting to be of Iphigenia confessing to her manipulative and sabotaging ways. The introductory text says that she, quote, consistently displayed malicious, malignant, vicious, jealous, and envious behavior, which she was doing covertly to sabotage. Many would agree on reading this article that she is having some kind of personality disorder issues, which are getting very common if one wants to refer back to Google, where symptoms are described very clearly and coherently. These kind of individuals resort to running smear campaigns by looking like a victim instead of being the perpetrator. It continues on, Disturbed individuals with personality disorders, true motive and agenda only comes to light after the carnage they leave behind. We are still putting the pieces together and dealing with our reputation being smashed, and most importantly, a noble mission attacked by a wolf in sheep's clothing. End quote. 
And here's an excerpt from the transcript of what are apparently Iphigenia's words, which she can be heard saying on the audio recording. To prepare Artie was just part of my manipulating games to be trusted as a genuine devotee. I even tried to manipulate the husband by asking every morning for help to change my ego, but I never wanted to change and just pretended. I went through the motions of doing Artie. I also sabotaged the Artie by touching the TV and changing settings when I was clearly told not to change anything. My twisted, distorted mind wanted to destroy the Artie so that the ashram cannot sustain and the couple would be negatively affected. End quote. There's also a page purportedly about Joy's willful sabotage, published in April 2018, which has an audio recording and selected transcripts of her talking a lot about business setups for the organisation in Australia, and apparently how she manipulated all sorts of things for her own gain. I'm not going to read an excerpt from that one as it's all pretty rambling, but there's a lot about stealing information and wanting to be in control. I'm unsure of whether Joy would have been able to do the work that she believed was her mission in spreading the group's message throughout Australia, without maintaining some level of control and making use of the organisational information she had access to. The only media coverage of this group has been via an online article in the Kiwi publication Stuff. The journalists who researched that article spoke with Joy and Iphigenia as well as with the couple, who, along with their remaining devotees, strongly opposed the final article that came out of the interviews. There's a release on their website, dated the 13th of October 2018, and entitled Public Statement Regarding Stuff Article. It says, quote, We strongly reject the accusations made by Iphigenia Amutsius and Joy Kuo, in particular, any suggestions of any physical or emotional hardship or abuse. Violence and abuse of any kind are abhorrent to us. And, quote, We are saddened that Iphigenia and Joy made these accusations. Iphigenia and Joy had personal issues which eventually led to their departure. We wish them the best. End quote. Around this time, Joy started her own YouTube channel, which she called Awakening with Joy. In November of last year, around a month after the group had published the statement on their website, Joy shared another YouTube channel with me called Awakening with Joy Exposed, which includes videos with titles such as Awakening with Joy or Bullying with Joy, You Decide Which One is Joy Kuo's Real Face, and Joy Kuo Awakening, Dual Personalities, Narcissistic Abuse on Fellow Volunteers. There are also videos that Joy tells me are her confession clips and she looks awful in these. Her voice is quiet and withdrawn, as she speaks of abusing other devotees and agrees with whatever is being said to her on the other side of the call, which isn't in the video. She appears very sleep-deprived, with huge bags under her eyes. Joy feels that her privacy has been violated with the publication of videos of her that were taken under such conditions. Joy also tells me that her friends on Facebook have received messages from current group members sharing these and other videos and information designed to damage her reputation. On the group's website, the 13 October public statement finishes on this note, quote, With this response, we simply hope to show we have nothing to hide. We would like our beliefs to be respected and to be left in peace in the same way as others are in the New Zealand community. We would simply now like to move on with our lives peacefully. 
Joy and Iphigenia each told me that they want nothing more than to move on with their lives peacefully as well. Let's hope that they'll be able to do so. A very special thanks to Joy and Iphigenia for sharing their stories with me for this episode. If you have personally been affected by involvement in a cult, or would like to support those who have been, you can find support or donate to Cult Information and Family Support if you're in Australia via www.cifs.org.au, and you can find resources outside of Australia with the International Cultic Studies Association via www.icsahome.com. If you or someone you know is in crisis or needs support right now, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 in Australia or find your local crisis centre via the International Association for Suicide Prevention website at www.iasp.info. Let's Talk About Sects is researched and presented by Sarah Steele. Sound design and music is by Joe Gould. Information sources are listed on our website at ltaspod.com, where you can find links on how to support the production of this independent podcast via Patreon, merchandise or donation. And do please mention the show to a friend if you feel they might appreciate it. Thanks for listening and hope you'll join me again next month. The world can be a mysterious place. It can also be a boring place, so let's focus on the mysterious. Rusty Hinges is a podcast that explores mysteries, hoaxes, natural phenomena, and weird history. Basically, anything that's a bit, well, hinky. Season 1 topics include the tale of Clarence Roberts, a man who died more than once. And then there is the maybe kidnapping of June Robles, the sun that danced in the sky over Portugal, and an unsolved murder on the high seas. Rusty Hinges is generally skeptical, but never dismissive. Well, (laughs) usually not dismissive. You can find Rusty Hinges on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. That's Rusty Hinges. R-U-S-T. You know what? I have faith in your spelling abilities, so go and subscribe to Rusty Hinges and maybe you'll solve a mystery. Probably not, but you know, you never know.